Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. This is another podcast of World Wide Wave, the international LGBT news and current affairs show, every week on Australia's first LGBT radio station, Joy 94.9. Surfing the globe, bringing you news, views and current affairs for the LGBT community. This is the World Wide Wave. Yes, it's World Wide Wave time. In fact, a new World Wide Wave time. It's Joy's international news and current affairs show for and by the LGBTI community. We take you around the globe one queer story at a time. We are here in our new 6pm Tuesday slot to bring you the LGBT news of the world. I'm Matt in the Victorian Pride Centre studios with the World Wide Wave team tonight of Alex. Hola. And hello, Stefan. Good evening. Sometimes life gets hard, and it can be hard to know what the future might hold. But then you hear about tonight's guest. She grew up in a cult, was raised in seven different countries, joined the Air Force, and was forced out due to their sec- due to her sexuality. She lived out of her car and says she learned more about people from her jobs as a bouncer in a gay bar and a cable guy. Her name is Lauren Hoff, and she's a New York Times best-selling author and essayist. Her latest book, Living Isn't the Hardest Thing, is a series of extremely personal yet often humorous insight into a life that has been anything but ordinary. Here's a taste of what's coming up tonight. Someone torched my car. I was getting death threats for a while. And then my car went boom in the middle of the night. And instead of anyone, the local police or the Air Force, trying to figure out what happened, who did it, you know, was I even safe there? They started investigating me. And uh, it didn't matter what happened from that point on. Once I was identified as a problem queer on base who might not make the Air Force look good, my career was over. Now, tonight our guest is talking a lot about family and what it means, so we will be putting it out to you to get your feedback tonight. Um, where are you spending Christmas? Are you spending it with your biological family or your logical family? Perhaps you're just getting together with friends uh, or, um, you know, a group of uh, rainbow friends. Lauren Hoff grew up in an infamous American cult called the Children of God. After being indoctrinated into what they call the family, it wasn't until Lauren left the cult that she realized that she could have her own life in her own terms. Discovering who she really was became the next challenge. Her life took her to the underbelly of America where she experienced homelessness, drugs, solitary confinement and dating women, which has provided more than enough content for her new book titled Living Isn't the Hardest Thing. We asked Lauren where the title came from and what the book is about. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, the title, I don't know. It was, don't don't name your files something if you're going to send it to your editor and expect that to not become the title of the book. Um, that really was how the title came about. I was stumped for an essay, 
title. It was titled this effing thing at some point. So I sent it in and I hated it at first, the title, but uh, it kind of grew on me. Um, I think because it can mean so many things. We, we talk a lot about, about being in a situation, a lot of memoirs about cults or, or any sort of strange childhood are a lot about that childhood itself. And we don't talk so much about how that affects you afterwards or once you're out, if, even leaving abusive relationships. We don't, you know, my favorite part of any movie, and I think The Room did this brilliantly, the book and the movie, is the bulk of the book, the bulk of the movie is about what happened after, you know, this woman was locked in a room for 20 years or something insane. And uh, I think that's the more interesting story is how our lives affect us once we leave, because, you know, what parts, what parts do we carry with us? And I think that, I mean, in, in your book, you talk about your spending your childhood in, in the cult. How does that affect your sexual identity? Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to say how it how it may not have affected me because it's the only childhood I know. But I think it did. I was talking to my sister about this yesterday. That uh, she's she's still a Christian and able to hold on to religion, and it gives her a lot of comfort in her life. But it also, you know still affects her with the shame and everything that can come from religion. And uh, I was able to quickly leave religion because I was never taught that God loved me. You know, God loved everyone kind of except me because I knew I was, there was something wrong with me that I was, I was gay. I was set apart for it at a very early age. And I think in some ways it made it easier afterwards not many queer people I know have these, you know, candy canes on the tree and their cool bicycle they wanted for Christmas stories of their childhood. We just don't have them. Um, or if we do, they're always tinged with some sort of horrifying trauma um, that we tend to laugh about and we can laugh about to each other. But that's the thing. If I tell stories of my childhood to another queer person, they're like, you know what? I could beat that. And they can. They absolutely can. You can't be too precious about your trauma when you work at a gay bar, listen to other kids' stories. And that's one one of the jobs you've had, I think, working at the at a gay bar yeah. in a gay bar. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, I I think it's a. It was probably one of the more formative experiences of my life because yeah, you. I found this, I'd always rejected, you know, familial titles and anyone called me, oh, you're, my, you're like a sister to me. I would cringe at that because I grew up in this family called, or the cult called the family, which is one of the things they sell and they try to assign family status to other people. And it's always been, and someone starts telling you at a job that we're a family, they're going to take things from you and abuse you like a family would. Um, and yeah, I had... I had these experiences with these people who, who all came from a lot of darker places than I did. And we had this bond of, you know, it was us versus them that happens in any menial job, any service job, especially there's back of house, front of house, there's front of house customers. You 
you get to form this group and sometimes the more it sucks, the closer you get because you may hate your coworker, but that's, that's your coworker. And if a customer looks at them wrong, you're going to be on your coworker's side. So, yeah, I think it was helpful to me. I, I felt accepted for the first time because nobody cared where I came from, who I was, how much money I had. If I was sleeping in my car, they just cared about, you know, how I treated them at work. And one of the many jobs you've had as well has been in the Air Force. And I'm interested to, to know what made you want to join the military? Oh, it was a whim. It was TV commercials about paying for college and getting out of Amarillo. I, I grew up in this town called Amarillo, Texas. It is, it is a cow town, an oil town in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing but the closest big city is another four-hour drive. And that city's Oklahoma City. So you're not improving your life much by getting there. Um, arguably worse. I don't know which, which ones. It's just, it's a nasty place to be. Um, I hated it. It was brown and ugly. And the people were kind of mean to me because I was the queer kid who stuck out. So yeah, the Air Force was the fastest way out of town. Um, I think we talk a lot about patriotism, about the American military. And I don't think Americans like to admit that it's it's one of our only college programs. You joined for four years. Maybe you get to serve in peacetime. Maybe you don't. Maybe you come back with a traumatic brain injury. Maybe you don't come back at all. But if you do, you might get to go to college. And um, you were in the military at the time of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Yeah. How did that affect your career? <laughs> it ended it very quickly. Uh, oh, not that quickly. Five years. I, was, I covered it up pretty well for a few years. And then... I mean, any queer person knows the longer you hide it, the worse it gets. You, you can't stay in the closet forever. It eats at your soul. Um, you you can't form bonds. Every conversation you have is a lie. You know, what did you do last weekend is what everybody talks about on Monday. And if you're queer, that's not something you can always talk about. So, yeah, it was, it was rotting me from the inside anyway. But I got uh, someone torched my car. I was getting death threats for a while. And then my car went boom in the middle of the night. Um, and instead of, instead of anyone, the local police or the Air Force trying to figure out what happened, who did it, you know, was I even safe there? They started investigating me. And uh, it didn't matter what happened from that point on. Once I was identified as a problem queer on base who might not make the Air Force look good, my career was over. It took a year. I was court-martialed and acquitted, but they were. everyone by then knew I was queer on base, so harassment just got worse. Um, they weren't going to let me leave, so I. the one upside of Don't Ask, Don't Tell is you get out by saying I'm gay, so I did. Author Lauren Hoff on her new book, Leaving Isn't the Hardest Thing, with us on Joy 94.9. And coming up, we hear how those terrible experiences in the military have shaped Lauren's new life. This is World Wide Wave. This is Tiseke Kasambala from Human Rights Watch, South Africa office on the World Wide Wave. We're interested in hearing your stories mm. about family and Christmas and how you're handling it. There's that um, classic line from Amstead Malpin around, you know, uh, do you uh, have a biological family or a logical family, a family that, mm. you know, logically fits chosen, with you? Yeah, like a chosen I know family. Yeah, lots of people that, you know, just do um, 
friends that come around yeah. and, you know, Lots you bring orphans, a potluck. Orphans, Orphan Christmas. Christmas. Yes, yes. yes. Um, yeah, I used to do, we used to do that a lot in our family because we celebrate on the 24th, the European, so mm. Christmas Day would often be time for orphans Christmas. So ah, I'd get two Christmases. Right. One with biological, one with chosen. And my, uh, my partner's coming to my biological family for the first time this right. year. So that'll be a whole other new experience there that is causing much angst and excitement at the same time. So, um, <laughs> yes, we'd love, love, mm. love to hear your stories about your family, chosen or otherwise, at uh, Christmas. Now, in a macho world of the uh, armed forces, there are far too many stories of LGBT discrimination and harassment. Author Lauren Hoff has been describing the experiences uh, with America's infamous Don't Ask, Don't Tell directive. It uh, created a culture of secrecy, public outings, and sometimes violent harassment. Uh, Her military career ended in uh, threats and a car bomb destroying her car, an incident that she has... Uh, incident that she went um, was then in sorry uh, then in, investigated for, but this experience did give her the chance to step away and think about who she really was as the victim who became the hunted. We asked Lauren how this experience and this trauma affected her. I think it it shattered my worldview. A lot of what happened in the military shattered my worldview, and none of it's that abnormal um a lot of women who join are sexually assaulted so i was sexually assaulted in the air force and then my car getting torched in the investigation it's you know if we go back to the title of the book i had come to believe that or i had you know deluded myself into believing that america would be the safe place that once i got out of the cult once i was free my life would be different and uh, my problems would be left behind in the cult. And, you know, they weren't. They kept compounding. I became a lot less trustful, I think, of just the world in general. And in some ways, maybe that was good. I bought into, I'd bought into patriotism. I'd bought into, you know, American exceptionalism. I bought into all of it, trying to be normal and trying to be like everyone else and blend in. Because at least this was an identity I could have. I, it was easy. I didn't have to pick out my clothes. I put on a uniform every morning and I was wearing the right thing. Talk military speak, you're speaking the right language. And I could do that. It was easy to fake. And I hadn't really thought about any of it. Um, I was able to just, you know, go to work every day and not think about, not make any choices about my life. Is that for once you felt you belonged to something? Yeah. I, I didn't. I knew I was different, but I could I could skate by. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it doesn't take very long in the Air Force to see how Don't Ask, Don't Tell will affect you. Um, there are investigations in every, you know, from basic training on, there were rumors about people and people were kicked out all around me. It, it happened. I saw it happen. But uh, yeah, it was it was easy. It was easy to fit in still and hide and speak the language. And I didn't have to figure out who I was. And would you, so now the military has evolved a little bit, hopefully, uh, would you join now knowing what happened to you at the time? Would you give it another go? 
God, no, absolutely not. I used to think about that for a long time when they were when they started talking about lifting down ass don't tell and I was still young and dumb enough where I might have wanted to join um, and, and broke enough. Um, give psychologists a second try. But uh, no, I, I look at children now serving in the military and they are children and I'm not going to salute a child <laughs> and be told what to do. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, in your um, book, you talk about the many careers you've had as well. Uh, what's, um, you know, having all these different uh, occupation jobs, what have that taught you about yourself? Uh, I mean, I can talk to anyone, which might be a useful trait. Um, you go in, I was a cable guy for a long time, and you go into everyone's house, just from every cut of society. And yeah, being able to talk to just about anybody is useful, but uh, I think it's it's strange now, even especially now that I'm not a cable guy, I watch the way people treat service workers. And we're having a problem now with COVID of you know, people throwing fits on planes and acting like toddlers in grocery stores because they don't want to wear a mask or whatever. And none of it's surprising to me. Like That was always there. Just people's, they just don't see service people or anyone beneath them that they think is beneath them as a fully human. I've seen a video of you where you talked about code switching, and I'm just quite interested to to hear a little bit more about that and what um what do you mean by code switching and how does that affect you? I think we all do it. Queer people definitely do it. When I'm talking to another gay person, our our mannerisms will, will be a little bit more gay. Our shoulders relax. We can be comfortable in who we are for a moment. It's the beauty of gay bars and kind of the tragedy of why we're losing all of them. Um, and we do it, but yeah, when we're around our family, when we're around a cop, when we're around anyone, we will mimic their mannerisms and kind of put a little bit we add a few layers to who we are to bury it. Um, and we do it to get along. We do it to make people more comfortable around us. It, it's a natural phenomenon. I think the talk I gave is really the only people who don't have to do it are straight white guys. So we do that just to fit in, basically. And to. And we do it to fit in. We do it to make people more comfortable. And we do it when we feel unsafe the most. Um, you know, I walk into a bathroom, I'm, I make sure my boobs are as prominent as possible because I, <laughs> I have short hair and I'm six feet tall. Um, sometimes I'll just try to have a conversation with the person next to me, if, especially if they're coming in with me. And that's useful because one, you get the person next to you who clearly knows you, who is identifying you as a person in the correct bathroom. But then maybe they'll hear my voice, although my voice is kind of deep, so I don't know how much that's helping anything. Um, yeah, even phone voice is a way that we code switch. We're just, for the most part, it's a harmless thing. We're trying to make people more comfortable around us. We're trying to fit in. We're trying to be heard. And then you get to the darker sides of it where we're trying to be safe. Speaking from Texas in the USA, that is New York Times best-selling author Lauren Hoff with us on Joy ninety four point nine. Now, if you uh, that 
those comments have raised any issues with you, there's lots of support available here in Australia. You can go to joy.org.au slash support and find out all the services available. I did just want to touch on the service workers treatment. Hmm. Uh, and I was thinking, is that is that an American thing? Is that a COVID thing? I was thinking or- the same thing. And I, I'd say a bit of yes and no. I think it is, there's definitely it exists here we've seen it with the um what's the infamous uh bunnings incidents uh last <laughs> yes. year the bill of so, rights on bunnings yeah the bill of rights on, um declaration and, and just lately in that um bookshop this security person or person employee wanting to check a vaccine certificate yes. was pushed down the stairs and stuff yes. like. so is that so. perhaps something that covid has sort of you know reared it's ugly head or do you think it's always been there i think it's, it's always been there it's entitlement I, I mean i've worked in hospitality when i was a student and before that and it's there's always people and you know this thing the customer is king the customer is all this and mm. some people take it a bit too far and yeah. think that they you know the servants that they can just humiliate and mm. and yeah this is quite awful really We've got lots more coming up uh, with our guest, Lauren Hoff. In fact, we asked Lauren about uh, what life is like living in conservative Texas as an LGBT person. This is World Wide Wave. Love radio? Joy is now on iHeartRadio. Take us with you anywhere. Hi, this is Effie from Peva, Kenya. We are supporting gender and sexual minorities in Africa on the World Wide Wave. Yes, on Joy 94.9, you're listening to World Wide Wave. And really, I want to say hello to everybody listening to us on podcast. You can subscribe to receive our podcast automatically at joy.org.au forward slash World Wide Wave or iTunes, Spotify or your favorite podcast platform. And we have a fantastic library of past shows and loads of different countries, countries you wouldn't think of. We'll be going 10 years now. Yes. 10 years. That's a lot of countries to cover. And we're very competitive. We like to see the stats <laughs> and see that we're up there, people listening we're all one to big the happy podcast. Families, <laughs> uh, tonight we are in the US of A, and the US state of Texas is the second largest American state, both geographically and by population. There's not much bigger than Texas, but it also has a very conservative history. You may have heard about the abortion rights fight that's uh, reared its ugly head again in America, and Texas is one of the ignition points. Similarly, LGBT rights are in a constant state of threat with limited discrimination protections and negative discrimination allowed on the grounds of religion. And it it is also home to our guest tonight, Lauren Hoff, author of the book Leaving Isn't the Hardest Thing. We asked Lauren what her experience is like as a queer person in Texas and, despite all the traumas that the state has given her, what made her want to stay? It's not a great time to be queer in Texas. Um, I moved to Austin, which is that city near you where it's okay to be gay and where all the hippies live. That's what Austin is to people, especially if you went to high school in Texas. And... I came back here because I did miss this place. I mean, there's, you can love the land and love the scenery and even love the people. Um, Texans have this great sense of irony that I don't think we find anywhere else in America. I don't have to explain my jokes here. Um, They understand a very dry sarcasm. It's great, but man, they have terrible politics. Um, (laughs) 
see, I feel relatively safe living in Austin. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a strange time. I think in a lot of our lives, we're watching the news, wondering where we might have to go. And Lauren, you so you've had uh, many experiences through life. If um, if you were able to to say something to your younger self about what to do in the future, or about you know, what would you say to yourself now that you've gone through all this? Uh, I mean, I might have warned myself about a couple people, but um, <laughs> a couple decisions there. But uh, I don't know. I think I, if I have a regret, it's that I wasted, I think, so much time trying to be normal and trying to fit in. And I was just in the wrong room. I call it a midlife crisis if you want. But I had a, about five years ago, I sold my house and moved into Winnebago and just drove around until I figured out where I needed to be and how to be a writer and wrote furiously and got published. But uh I think we waste a whole lot of time trying to fit in and you know, those those stories you tell about your life. If you can't be you without people being a jerk to you. And it took me so long to learn that. I'm not very bright, I guess, but it took a minute. Um and now yeah, I can be fully myself and I can be exactly who I am. And if if you don't like it, I'm you're not my audience, which is fine. The book is Living Isn't the Hardest Thing, and it's available online or your local bookstore in Melbourne. Lauren Huff, thank you very much for talking to us at World Wide Wave. Thank you so much. This is fun. <laughs> what a wonderful, uh, interesting, resilient person that Lauren is. Was was that ringing? Were, were there a few things ringing true there around? Mm. Um, I love that quote. Um, you know, you, you, you're trying to be normal, trying to fit in but I was in the wrong room. It yeah. was like, that is just such a, a beautiful way of putting it. It is, yeah. And the, this idea of, you know, her whole journey about finding herself and, uh, you know, I think a lot of people can can familiarise with that and also this, you know, the idea that if you sometimes you've just got to, uh, it's not, as you say, it's not the the place it's um so it's not it's not the it's not you it's the place and, and the people around you yeah, that influence the way that you act and then you yeah. start thinking oh it's not it's not me that's what am i doing um also that uh I, I just want to talk about the military and the air force a bit there so things we should point out that yes she was there in the don't ask don't tell period of america and there have been some changes which is really good but um she entered the Defence Force entered the Air Force looking for belonging, looking for, you know, a place to feel safe and fit in. And she said, you can skate by in the Air Force. This is exactly the kind of place that you can do that. You can you can fly, un- fly under the radar, well, so to speak. Yeah, well, you have to, to conceal your identity. I mean, even now, I mean, it, well, I don't know. I mean, it's not, uh, it's not as easy, I think, as to be openly LGBTIQ. I mean, that's the... I, I, I had to... Uh, big French. I had to do the military service, and I, really? yeah, after a couple of months, I, that I could not do that. So I, I became a conscientious objector, and um, and did something different. But because I was punished for that, instead of doing twelve months in the military, I had to do eighteen months as a conscientious objector. Oh. Um, because I just 
I mean, I just didn't think I could ever fit in. Not because, you were in the wrong room. Yeah, I was. It's just, and I was uncomfortable with this all, you know, that fraternity brotherhood yeah. thing. It was just not me. And that, as she talks about that, that having to come back on a Monday after a weekend or whatever, or holidays, and have to like. Oh, here comes the question, as usual, you know, hmm. questions about how your weekend was and what do you do and stuff like that. It's like, they're those casual things that we all live with, you know, where we don't feel quite comfortable saying, you know, the reality of our lives outside work um, and have to hide certain things or just blur over certain, you know, details. Hmm. Um, I think that that just wears on you. And I imagine somewhere like the armed forces would be just, you know, 10 times it's good to see some employer or many employers now saying you know we want we want our staff to bring their whole selves to work whatever mm. that means um yes you do get the the impression that the the military might take longer than others uh, the other thing that scared me though that the air force is one of our only college programs oh yeah uh, like uh, the way you get an uh, education is uh, i mean that scares the hell out of me really which means it probably attracts a higher percentage of lower lower socio lower socioeconomic um, candidates, you know, um, which then probably also breeds mm. some of the attitudes. And code switching. Yes. I found this fascinating because I'd never, I mean, I, I think it's... It's putting a name on something we, we that's all right. do, we that's know. That's exactly right. It's just something I've, I've done countless number of times and I never actually thought about it that way. And when I watched that video, I thought, oh, yes, actually. And yes. so when you're with your when you're in the right room there's there's so many things you don't have to say or explain or watch and be comfortable mm. but when you're in the wrong room you're you know you yeah. try to fit in in that room um it look it's a it's a uh, fascinating book the book is called leaving isn't the hardest thing and lauren hoff is the author and if you love a good audio book our very own kate blanchett has done the audio book so you can go online and uh and find the book uh on audio as well want to hear more find out about lgbt life in over 100 countries Download free podcasts of this show, subscribe to iTunes, or follow us on Twitter. Visit joy.org.au slash worldwidewave. And uh, message in. Anna, thanks for your message. Uh, we've just been talking um, about code switching and, you know, putting on the face to fit in with the room. It's a big concept, Anna says, in speech pathology and uh, also a lot around race codes in the US as well. Receive LGBT news from around the world throughout the week. Like Worldwide Wave on Facebook now. A huge thank you to our guest tonight, author Lauren Hoff. The book is titled Leaving Isn't the Hardest Thing. It's available from thebookshop.com.au here in Australia or your favourite bookstore. You can find out more about Lauren at laurenhoffauthor.com and the audio book with uh, Kate Blanchett is also available. And thank you for the messages, uh, the SMS emails and on Facebook, Liz, William, Brett and a heap more who have joined or interacted with us on Facebook this past week. That's w 3 John on Facebook and uh, behind the scenes thank you to our podcast Peter and social media master Dean thanks for listening to another podcast from World Wide Wave the show that takes you around the globe one country at a time World Wide Wave is the international news and current affairs show on Australia's LGBT radio station Joy 94.9
You can listen live every Tuesday night on 94.9 FM in Melbourne and online at joy.org.au. You'll find all our podcasts at joy.org.au slash worldwidewave or follow us on Facebook for the latest international LGBT news. Search W3Joy on Facebook now. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.